spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. He took a week off for vacation, but the clown is back. This is Funny Like a Clown podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Worth. September 19th, 2021. This is episode 126. And uh, hey, we're going to be talking about comedian Alan King today, which we're going way, way back to the 70s. But a uh, guy inspired a lot of today's comedians and uh, left behind a legacy most comedians could only dream of. He was funny, funny like a clown. So let's talk about the guy. Before we do, today's episode is brought to you by G Vegas Buffalo Sauce with a spicy, sweet, savory taste of game time. There's only one G Vegas available at www.gvegas.webs.com. Go check it out, man, because who don't like a good buffalo sauce? And even if you don't eat it, it's a great collector's item. If you're listening to Funny Like a Clown podcast, that is our number one collector's item because it's probably our only collector's item. But, uh, Grab some buffalo sauce, man, because we're coming to you from G Vegas. Gardner, a little town outside of Boston. So uh, its nickname is G Vegas. And you might say, why would they call Gardner G Vegas? Well, there's been a lot of rumors, but nobody knows for sure. It's been a term that's been around for years. But uh, rumor was that there was a lot of illegal gambling going on back in the day. Another rumor was that uh, it was uh, such a boring town. There was nothing to do. It was the complete opposite of Las Vegas, where there was so much to do. So. Who knows? But either way, it's the name of Buffalo Sauce now, baby. Alan King, who knows if he liked a good Buffalo Sauce or not, because, uh, hey, before my time, but uh, let's get into a comedian, um, actor known for his angry rants, which I guess you think of uh, Louis Black, he gets on his angry political rants. Well, this guy, he was doing some angry rants, making people laugh way back in the day before Louis came around. Did uh, movies, TV, uh, wrote some books, uh, produced some films, so uh, he made his rounds. Born in New York City, tough city. If uh, said he survived on the streets, which I mean, New York City. You know, if you're, he was he was living in Brooklyn, which is a tough part of town. They got the gang life and street life there, so he survived on the streets. And uh, part of what made him survive, I guess, uh, as a kid, he'd uh, stand on the street corner and he'd perform uh, impressions on the street corner for pennies, which you know. Pennies ain't a lot now. Back in the day, if you got a few pennies, you know, it went a long way back then. So uh, people walk by, they like his impression, throw a penny in the pot, boom, made a little bit of money. And uh, hey, to this day, there's still street performers. We throw dollars in, maybe five sometime if you like direct. But go down to New York City, Times Square, they got, it was so bad with us street performers down there. It's like they had to draw like lines on the street where they couldn't come outside the line because they were harassing people so bad trying to get money out of them. Like they got to get you into the end of the line before they can start to harass you. Remember I was walking by, they were doing everything. To get me in that line. I, was like, I don't think so. No money out of me today. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> and I remember some people, they were tipping them like a dollar. It's like, yeah, they get dressed up in these wacky costumes, go all the way to Times Square for a dollar. You know, they're expecting a $20 tip or something, but. Some people just don't get it. They don't get the value of a tip, okay? Because you don't want to look ignorant in life. Somebody either say no, but if you say yes, then at least give them a good tip. So I guess there's a fine line there between being pressured into doing something and uh, doing it and being being civil about it. Um, 
At 14, uh, he actually performed on radio, uh, a famous routine, Brother, Can You Spare a Dime? Which I remember that one from the Laverne and Shirley show. I, I don't even remember it, but I remember what uh, Shirley was doing something. She was telling some speech and it was, Brother, Can You Spare a Dime? That's about what I remember the routine from right there. But I have heard of that routine before in comedy through the Laverne and Shirley show when I was a kid, but uh, I guess it's on radio. It was on Major Bo's Amateur Hour, which, you know, radio back then, much bigger than it is, you know, today TV's the big thing. Well, actually, internet's taken over. I mean, I can't even say TV's the big thing anymore, but first it was radio. You became the radio star. Then television killed the radio star, and now the internet is killing the television star, but uh, either way, he got on Major Bo's Amateur Hour. Didn't take first place. But uh, he did good enough where he was invited to do a national tour. So uh, right there, you know, you, you're breaking out in the business right there. I know America's Got Talent does that, too. If uh, it was, I think it was last, last comic standing where if you made the final 10 performers, you got to go on this national tour. So even if you didn't take first place, you were still getting to the national tour on last comic standing. So uh, I remember Mike DiStefano, I was rooting him on and... Uh, I think he did make it in, and he ended up passing away. But, gosh, he was one funny guy. I did enjoy watching him. I miss that show. They should bring back that show. But, hey, before Last Comic Standing, before uh, America's Got Talent, before all that stuff, you were on Major Bo's Amateur Hour on radio. Uh, he ended up dropping out of high school uh, to perform comedy at a local hotel, the Hotel Gratis. And uh, he was doing good there, I guess, making uh, making some money till. One night, he made the big mistake. He started making fun of, in one of his routines, the owner of the hotel. And um, when you start making fun of the uh, person who pays you paycheck, he ain't going to be paying it very long. He ended up getting fired for making fun of the guy. But it, it turned out he spent the rest of the summer working at, a, I guess it was a spinoff of the hotel, a more upscale hotel downtown. So he spent the rest of that summer and the following year. Uh, he was actually hosting over there. So I guess it turned into a good thing, which, you know, I used to host uh, a show at a local bar and I did it for so long. I, I do miss it. There's a little place called JD Chase's in New Hampshire. And as long as I did it and then, you know, we had our good nights, we had our bad nights, but it became routine. It was like a family thing. We got up there and all performed together, but they finally fired me. And on one hand I was depressed, but on the other hand, I knew it would lead to bigger things. And it did. I wanted to do bigger things in comedy, which I think back now, had I stayed there, I probably wouldn't have went on and did the bigger things. So it was sometimes getting fired is a good kick in the butt you need. It's not always a bad thing to, to make you do better things. I'm a survivor. I survive. Kick me out of one thing. I will do something bigger. And apparently Alan King did the same thing. He was a survivor. So, um, Later on, he went up to Canada and he was working in the uh, burlesque house up there doing some burlesque shows, which uh, back in the day, that was big for comedy. They come to see the girls and you had to keep them laughing and they didn't want to hear you make them laugh. So you had to work twice as hard to make them laugh because they just wanted to see the girls. But uh, good money if he could do it, if you could make a you can make a living playing doing burlesque shows if you know how to handle yourself. But it's like an art form, you know, comedy. You have to do it 20, 30 years to master the art form and knowing how to handle any situation, any crowd, any comments someone's gonna say. It's not says so much work goes into being a veteran comic. So uh everybody thinks, oh, you get up there and make people laugh. That's a lot of fun. Like, yeah, well, you know, a lot of work, politics and everything goes into that. 
uh, making, you know, I, I often say when you start doing open mics, it's a hundred percent fun. You're just going up there with your friends and you're making each other laugh. And when you hit the next level, you're getting paid. Now it's 90% business and politics and only 10% fun. So yeah, yeah. The 10% fun is a lot more fun because you're performing with crowds of, you know, a hundred instead of 25 or 30, but hundred, 200, 300 people, but it's only 10% fun because you got to put up with so much bullshit first to get to that fun. And sometimes it's not worth it. Sometimes it is. Uh, let's see. Uh, he was also, he's a professional boxer, which I wouldn't, uh, which you never know, you know, besides comedy, what people are doing, but he's a pro boxer, won 20 straight bouts in a row. Uh, but after, uh, dealing with a broken nose and nursing that for a while, he decided to quit boxing and go full time into comedy. And I don't care what area you're in. If you're going to go full time into comedy, you got some stones because it's a tough business. Very tough to make a living at. Uh, you really, you really gotta be a hustler and a worker and, even, you know, it's such a hard path to get at the top of your game. You know, you see all the big names, you know, well, they weren't always big names. You go some nights, you don't eat, you go some nights, you don't drink some nights you got to crash on friends couches. I mean, it's a tough life before you hit the big, you know, grand lifestyle. I remember Jay Leno used to say that when he performed at the comedy store, the show would get done. They lock the door. He'd say, good night. He'd walk around to the back of the comedy store and just sleep on the sidewalk in the back wake up the next morning, come up. Hey, how you guys doing? Like he was just showing up or something, you know, nowadays he's got big mansions and everything, but it wasn't always like that. So, uh, man, he's going to pursue comedy full-time. That, that's a, that's a thing. Started working as a doorman at a uh, popular nightclub, uh, comedy club that, that did comedy there. Um, he started performing under the name of, uh, the last boxer that actually beat him. Okay. Well, I guess that boxer's last name was King. And that's why he started performing as Alan King. So I guess that's not even his real name. Little did we know that's only his stage name. Remember we learned that about Joan Rivers too. I couldn't believe Joan Rivers. That's all I've ever known her as when I found out those stage name I was like, get out of town. That's not a real name. But, uh, no, I got a friend. He's a school teacher up in New Hampshire and He's got to use a stage name too, because, you know, he has to set an example for the kids. And if they ever caught him telling a dirty joke, then, uh, <laughs> Hey, big trouble. He might lose his job. And he uses a stage. Now I remember one year that there's some kids pieced it together. They put his stage name together and found him on YouTube. And I guess it was going around the school and he had to go on YouTube and just delete everything that he had done all his work. He, he panicked. He was going to lose his job, you know? I mean, comedy, it's a good hobby for him, but he can't lose his paying gig over it. So, and this was all work. He didn't have it backed up. He lost a lot, you know, some he had, some he didn't. And just to lose your work like that because you want to make people laugh. And yeah, you got to set an example for the kids, but you know, there's a line when they're starting to tell you how to live your life and that's kind of, kind of overboard. I don't know. I've heard of that. What I've heard on the news, you know, school teachers who lost their job because they were a parent nude and playboy or something. They didn't know about it because they're supposed to set an example for the kids and it's, you know, even the best people in the world are entitled to a private life. So, uh, Alan King, he starts performing professionally. Uh, I guess he started doing one-liners, which, uh, you know, depending on the place, you know, if you're paying 25 bucks to go into a comedy show, you're going to sit down, you're going to shut your mouth and you're going to have full attention. Okay. Now, if you're playing, say a local bar or something, half the crowd's there to see and half the crowd's there to drink. So the half the crowd of this drinking, they got nothing invested in you. So you have to win them over and they're not going to listen to some long story, but if you can hit them with a one liner and get them laughing, now they want to listen to you where, you know, a paid gig, you can get into a long story because they'll listen to it because they paid to hear you where, and then, you know, if, if they're not paying, boom, you got to be lightning quick to keep their attention. So one liners have always said great way to start in comedy. Get them laughing. Once they're laughing, then they'll want to hear your story. But 
don't start out with a story because you ain't got them laughing yet. Uh, came to the point, I guess, he realized that he was talking to an audience. He wasn't talking at them because a lot of them get up there and just tell their jokes and that's it, you're here to listen. And instead, you know, he's talking with them. He wants the crowd to be part of the show. So he starts doing crowd work, okay? Which, you know, once you get the crowd involved, there's another art form it takes years and years to master. But uh, yeah, a little bit of crowd work, you know, makes the crowd feel like they're part of the show. Of course, if it gets carried away and everybody wants to talk at the same time, then it could turn into a mess and you need to know how to handle that too, so um i guess uh yeah things working out for him you know his name was getting around started opening fracks like judy garland uh patty page nat king cole uh billy Eckstein, uh lena horn and uh tony martin okay so these are some big big names back in the 70s he's starting to open for them and uh i i know the feeling because i was doing the local shows for a while then all of a sudden i booked steve sweeney which opened the door to the national acts and all of a sudden it's Steve Sweeney, Lenny Clark, Tom Cotter, Jimmy J.J. Walker, Jackie the Joke Man, Martling, Carla Bow, Stutter and John. I've worked with these national comics, so just that one, you always need that one, one door to open, and once it does, it just floods like what does. Uh, the last guy I mentioned there, Tony Martin, I guess he was cast in the uh, movie Hit the Deck, and uh, he wanted to bring along uh, one of the guys that he met, and uh, he ended up bringing along Mr. Alan King, and uh, that was uh, King's first role in a movie because Tony Martin gave him a break because he was opening for him for so long. And I remember uh, Steve Sweeney. I started opening for him, and I was doing a local television show called The Comedy Kitchen, which I had him on, and he took interest in it. And I sat down with him, and he tried to make a pitch to the Food Network. And I, I wasn't under the impression it was like one in a million chance, but just the fact that Steve Sweeney, you know, a big comic like that, Boston comic, was willing to help me. That was cool. So I can only imagine, you know, Alan King, when his buddy Tony Martin called up, said, hey, I'm in a major feature movie and I want to get you a role in there. Just that that's such a huge break for a comic like that. And I always said, remember your friends. I, I, that's, a, that's one of the reasons why I've slowed down in comedy, because I hate when I put like a comic on like four or five shows in a row. Then they put on a show and don't ask me to be on it. Or it's like, I ask you to be on my TV show, then you start a TV show and you don't put me on it. It's like, you know, it's a, you take care of me, I take care of you business. And I don't know, everybody's in it for themselves, I guess, in life in general and all the way around. So, uh, but back in the day, you took care of your friends and Alan King's getting taken care of by his buddy. That led to uh, doing some more small roles in movies, which, you know, if you can be, uh, you know, just just to get small roles what would you get to go a small role in star wars okay yeah you, all of a sudden you know i don't care how big the role is you're in a movie like that so uh getting a lot of small roles in movies uh made a name for himself all of a sudden um made such a name for himself not that he ever got the huge leading roles but i mean he was in some big ass movies uh he was in a, a gangster in the movie casino in 1995 and uh he was in the movie night in the city 1992 both robert de niro movies uh i the jury was in cat's eye bye bye brave man the anderson tapes uh just tell me what you want he had a cameo as himself in prince of the city so all of a sudden here's a guy who started out you know small roles in movies and all of a sudden he's working with uh names like billy crystal uh uh in a terminally ill uh you know uh he played his father, a terminally ill father, in one of Billy Crystal's movies, uh, Memories of Me. So, you know, this is leading. He's working with Billy Crystal. He's working with Robert De Niro. He's working with the all-time director, Martin Scorsese. I mean, these are just names 
oh, you dream about it. these guys are on the Oscars and you're working with them. What a what a thrill. I felt like that with Lenny Clark, you know, Steve Sweeney, Lenny Clark. These are Boston legends and all of a sudden I'm doing shows with them. I was just in such awe of the moment. It's like just to have your name associated with them, you know. I started at a local bar trying to make my friends laugh and all of a sudden I'm working with Steve Sweeney and Lenny Clark. Was, hey, what's going on here? Yeah, something's going on. Hard work, that was what was going on. He was a uh, Jewish comic uh, known for uh, his work on the Catskill circuit, they called it, um, known as the uh, the Borgeshit Belt. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, back then they had their circuits of, you know, I mean, I got my circuit of friends that I work with in comedy, and those are the guys that I call when I got something going on. But back then you had the Black circuit, and you had the Jewish circuit, and you had the Irish circuit, and, you know, you get on that circuit. That's that's you know how it was done back then, where it's not such a thing. This this today days you can be on any circuit, but I mean, you know, well, like I just said, you find your circuit of friends. But back then it was more race involved. Now it's more who you like working with involved, I guess. But that was a common thing. We've come over. Uh, let's see. I guess his career really started to take off when all of a sudden he got noticed from all that stuff he was doing. All of a sudden he's on the Ed Sullivan show. He's on the Perry Como show on the Gary Moore show. These are all the top shows on TV at the time. Um, he lived in uh, New York city, which, uh, meant, you know, he's right there where they're filming the Ed Sullivan show. So, uh, whenever Ed was in a jam, a guest didn't show up or something, he could always call you know, King and say, Hey, you're right in town. Can you come over? And that got him a lot, you know, a lot of guest appearances because he was available on short notice because he lived right in town, which, uh, I know I'm a big fan of the Joe Rogan podcast and, uh, you know, on, on a lot lesser level here, you know, the funny like clown podcast, I enjoyed doing it, but I mean, Joe Rogan, he's taking podcast and comedy to the next level, but I know Adam Carolla, who is the old, uh, MTV VH1 host. And, um, he, uh, he's credited for starting the first podcast ever out in Corolla. And, uh, but he's Joe Rogan's go-to guy. If he gets short a guest, all of a sudden he calls in Adam Corolla. So, uh, I remember Joe asked him one time, he's like, you know, how do you feel being the go-to guest when I got nobody else? I love it. You know, like a Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. All of a sudden a whole lot, maybe more people are tuning in your show because you've been on the number one podcast on, on the airwaves out there. But, uh, he was the guy, he became a regular on the Johnny Carson uh, Tonight Show, which, I mean, once you're on Carson back then, boom, you're a made comic, just like that. Because uh, that was pretty much the only place, you know, TV you could see a comic back then was was a late night thing. It's not like today where the internet can bring you out to the world or whatever. Uh, let's see, 1972, he hosted the Oscars. Uh, you know, what? Uh, which reminds me, I think... Uh, the Emmys or Grammys or something on tonight. Cedric the Entertainer was in. Though. He was a uh, he was MC, which I was more interested in the comedian MC than I was the actual award show. Never got on the award show, but I mean, be nice to win one. But I mean, I'm more into the MCs and how they can make you laugh than I am just watching people get awards. But uh, he was the MC for John F. Kennedy's inauguration. So I mean, you're working with presidents of the United States. Yeah, that's a pretty good club to be in. Speaking of clubs, he was the longtime host at the Friars Club, uh, the legendary place that started all the roasts. And I know Comedy Central, they've gone on to take over the roasts and everything, but started with the Friars Club. He uh, headlined two unsold pilots for CBS. So I guess he made two shows for CBS. They weren't picked up, but he did headline two that were pitched to the network, both titled The Alan King Show after him. So, uh, you know, you're pitching shows to CBS, major television network back then. Oh, yeah, that's a big thing. 
Uh, he created a Laughwell, which is uh, where he had a group of comics. He'd send comics to hospitals to make patients laugh, which that's always a cool thing. Nowadays, it's a common thing with comics. You know, uh, laughter is the best medicine. Comics for a cure. Uh, you know, comics to care, anything like that. I mean, every comic is connected, you know, with a give back because everybody likes to give back to causes. That's the fun part of comedy when you can help somebody out and do what you love to do. Um, he also created the Toyota Comedy Festival, which I mean, if Toyota, a car company, is getting behind a comedy festival, that's a pretty big festival, I got to imagine. Uh, he did smoke cigars heavily in his act. He was known for, uh, I know George Burns, he was a big cigar smoker. Well, Alan King, I guess he was a big uh, cigar smoker too and did use it in his act. Caught up with him uh, May 9th, 2004. He died of lung cancer and the world was robbed of a great comic. But uh, man, what a legendary career there from uh, doing impressions on a street corner for pennies to working with uh, Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Billy Crystal, the, the you know, geez, Oscars. I mean, you name it, this guy did it. And, and you know, he, he inspired a lot of comics, you know, Jerry Seinfeld and stuff. And he was accredited, you know, with inspiring the next generation of comics. So, hey, hopefully there's some young comics out there listening to the Funny Like Clown podcast. You're learning because I'm having a lot of veteran comics on. I'm discussing a lot of veteran comics. If you're a young comic, you, <coughs> you can learn to sneeze and you can learn a lot about comedy. This is Funny Like a Clown podcast. When I'm not sneezing, I'm trying to educate you about comedy because laughter is the best medicine, man. If you make somebody laugh, it's a cool thing to do in life. So go do it. I'll see you next week. Good night. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.